Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, everybody, welcome back to Reasonable Doubt, the podcast. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt. And I am Detective Chris Anderson. I am the co-host and retired homicide investigator on Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host on Reasonable Doubt. All right, we've had a, we've had a pretty incredible season so far. Um, and the first few cases were so challenging for you guys. And I know from being out there, you guys really struggled with it. Um, this was a case that I think over the course of the week became uh, easier for you guys to uh, to make a decision on. Um, the evidence really was pointing pretty strongly in one direction. Right. And even the leads, the, the leads that they gave us, not not only just the evidence, but the leads that they gave us, uh, almost, almost all of them pointed back. They didn't help him at all. They all actually hurt him in the case. Yeah. For yeah. people who are going to reach out to us, think twice before you ask us to look into cell phone data, because that, that does not lie. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a case that it, it wasn't throughout the week, it just started, things just started to slowly unveil and it was only pointing in that, in that one direction. You know, the problem with these other cases that we've had so far and and with a lot of the cases on the show are possible other suspects. And, um, that, that was definitely, um, you know, present in the case with, you know, Ken and Chad, you know, where there's possible other suspects, maybe people with other motives. This case is just really different, you know, as it, as we started to, um, you know, read all of not just, you know, all of the trial transcript and all of the evidence in this, but, you know, the text messages between people, a relationship started to, you know, appear and um, all of a sudden a motive. You know, I, I don't I didn't think that the motive was difficult in this one. All right. So before we go on. This is the point where we stop everybody. If you haven't watched the episode yet, and um, these episodes run Monday night, 10 p.m. on Investigation Discovery, pause the podcast, watch the episode, and come back. If you have watched the episode, before we move on, let's just give you a little bit of a refresher on this case. Amherst, Virginia, May 4th. 
2008. A man wakes up to a pickup truck blocking his driveway. It's riddled with bullets. A young man is slumped over in the driver's seat, dead. The victim is identified as 19-year-old Justin Bumgardner. Few clues are left at the scene. But the next day, police get a break. A man named Justin Davis comes forward and says he saw the whole thing. He tells police the killer is 21-year-old Timothy Wright Jr., an Iraq war veteran. The motive? The love of a 17-year-old girl. At trial, prosecutors theorize that on the day of the murder, Wright saw his girlfriend talking to Baumgartner in a park. The two used to date. And this makes Wright furious. Prosecutors say Wright confronted them, threatening and yelling. Not wanting to fight, Baumgartner got in his truck and left. Wright followed down a two-lane country road with Justin Davis behind the wheel and Wright in the passenger seat. Prosecutors say the two caught up to the victim. Wright then took out a weapon and opened fire. The jury buys it. Justin Davis gets a 15-year sentence. Timothy Wright is found guilty of first-degree murder and is now serving a 63-year sentence without the possibility of parole. When we started in the beginning of the week, you met with uh, Tim Sr. and Ashley. And I'm just curious what your uh, impressions were, both of them. Tim Sr. in particular seemed like he was living with a lot of regret. Yeah, you can really see the pain um, and regret definitely in in his eyes, in his demeanor. Um, you know, I, I really felt for him. Uh, I think, you know, he's he's an old school kind of dad. And, and I know the show can't, the show doesn't, and our audience knows by now the show can't air everything because it's only so long. Um, but you know, there's a moment where I can really connect with this family. And I know on the show, it, it, I come across as surprised by their lifestyle. You know, that dad's a strict father, doesn't allow television and, um, doesn't allow them to go, you know, go to any kind of party like Halloween, Christmas, none of that's celebrated. Right. Um, and a lot of people, and I think my reaction is what a a lot of other people's reaction is when they hear that, like, oh, you're not just strict, like you need to be home by midnight or, you know, no drinking at parties. You're strict, like the normal things that young people do, they just can't do. Um, but the reality is I, I, you know, and I did, uh, I was honest with them both. And that's a lot how I grew up. I grew up in a very fundamental Christian household. And I can say this is the same kind of household. Um, you know, my, my parents ruled with an iron fist. They, they were very tough. They, I, I was not allowed to do a lot of those things. I wasn't allowed to wear pants, jewelry, makeup. Um, and so for me, that was very normal growing up. It was hard. It was strict for sure. And I, I knew that when I would hang out with friends from school, but that was the norm in my household. So, you know, when they expressed that, I could see that this father, um, you know, he was doing what he felt was best. He was raising his children um, in the church and, um, you know, uh, according to biblical ways, he wanted them to be very disciplined and, um, you know, not be what, what Christian people will say of the world, to not be worldly, to not listen to secular music and to not celebrate secular holidays, all of that. He was torn. This man was a very, very scarred by the way that he raised his children. And, you know, sometimes that's, that's how it is, you know, when you, 
when you grow up in a very, very strict environment, you usually inflict the same thing on your own children. And in some cases, growing up when he did. So, you know, I talked to him a lot uh, throughout the, our first meeting about, you know, how I felt as though that I was a very strict father, but I had no clue as to how deep his his uh, his values, his Christian values ran and how much he, uh, uh, you know, uh, didn't allow his children to grow and see things of the world and, and attend parties. I, you know, I've never been that strict with my children, but this this man was very, very torn and he's but he's learned a lesson, you know, and that's the good thing about it, even though it, it cost him a relationship with his son, it's cost him a relationship with his older children. But I think, you know, after talking to him, he has a much better understanding and a much better relationship with the younger kids. And so it, it really does make you feel bad for Tim that, you know, as he got older, he was lacking something. And um, he did need, you know, that he did need to be treated probably different than the rest of the other kids because he just had a different personality. And so just to be super strict with him and not allow him to do anything and be that hard on him, you could see how a personality like that would just turn away and say, well, then I'm turning my back on all this. Forget all of you. Um, and so I was, I was trying to keep an open mind especially, you know, in the beginning, as we start to dive into each case. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, everything just kept pointing to him. And then, and then you hear about his background and you go, okay, yeah, it makes sense. It seems like the, um, the biggest thing with him to me, like if I had to really, really just get it down to its essence, is it was a tragic story of a kid who was just desperately trying to get his dad's approval. And he couldn't get it. You know, he joined the military. It, it just felt like even Chris, when you interviewed him, he was talking about how he never felt like his dad just unconditionally loved him. And he he was trying to prove his innocence to somehow prove something to his dad. And it felt like that was like a, a lifelong struggle for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said that at the uh, during the uh, interview when I asked him, was there anything that he can do to kind of help his father cope with it? And he said that, you know, I've never been able to make him feel as though I'm innocent of this, but I will keep saying that I am innocent. And, you know, that that really just kind of touched me because that just lets you know that he is a he's a he was a son that was trying to win the approval of his own of his father. Chris, at the end of this episode, bruh, you teared up a little on that. <laughs> getting choked up too, because I do hear you say often, you know, and that you're hard on your son. Um, I mean, he's, he's a good kid uh, and you've done a great job with him. I absolutely adore him. Um, but you even admit you're like, sometimes I'm just harder on him, you know, like I I just want him to learn. And I think that's a lot of your upbringing, right? Like nobody, Mm -hmm. you're in a position, we're all in a position now where we're doing even better for our children. Right. Right. We know better. We do better. Hopefully, you know, we're making more. I mean, I know how a lot of us grew up like just with nothing. And so Mm -hmm. because of that, you know, a lot of us also want to instill in them, hey, you better work hard and get it on your own. But at the same time, when a kid is good and, um, you know, like your son and he's constantly wanting to please you and and show you how much he looks up to you. Oh, my gosh, the way your your son looks up to you. Um, But so I could see that was affecting you and sitting there and making you realize maybe in some ways that you know, you may want to even change with your own. Yeah. 
I, I can't say that I, I left uh, uh, this episode in, in Amherst, Virginia, the same person, you know, uh, as, a, as it relates to a, my, my son and, my, uh, and our relationship. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he and I, my son and I have a great relationship, an uh, 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 awesome relationship. We don't argue. We don't fuss. I don't even try to, you know, I don't even try to 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 tell him any different anymore you know he's a grown man and i understand that and i i know i have done a very good job in raising him now it's time for him to learn so i tell him all the time now you know look i'm just your advisor son i'm just gonna advise you on what you should do whatever you do that's on you whatever i can help you with i'm gonna help you with and we talk four or five times a week you know uh and he asks my opinion and and sometimes you know sometimes we we don't agree on everything but i know now that hey i just let him let him learn mm-hmm. we but I, but I think we have an awesome relationship and you tell and him I'm you're so, proud and you love him i'm so i tell him all the time man i'm oh, so proud is- of you i don't know what to do i love it i I'm know this proud. This case was really different because, you know, a lot of times we have moms on this show fighting for their children. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We rarely get fathers. And it's mm-hmm. it was so nice and refreshing to sit across from a father who, you know, I, if if Tim ever needed any validation of how much his father loves him, this is it. I mean, his dad is here. He wants answers for himself, but he's fighting for his son. And you could see the heartbreak. Oh, you could see the disappointment and the heartbreak in him when we told him we couldn't help. You know, he was a father hoping that, um, you know, he would get to have his son home with him again soon. But this episode, I felt like it really affected you. And Rob, I'm kind of going to out you because I remember you even opening up saying, my dad never told me he was proud of me. Like, I never heard those words. No, never. But um, that dynamic, father and son, it, it's just really interesting to me. And, it's, it's, and it was prevalent here. And, you know, because women really have needs- that with their moms, right? Like, I'm forever, I'm a daddy's girl and it comes easy. And there's no, I can do no wrong in dad's eyes, right? <laughs> and he's same with me. He's just the best. Oh, but my mom. And so it's like one of those things where it's just like constantly trying to please that yeah. person. And it's just something with maybe a mother, daughter, father, son. Um, but that was that was definitely a theme in this episode that that stood with us. And that's and I think that's why this episode resonated so much with Chris and it resonated actually so much with me as well. Now, to get into the case a little bit, um, one of the big leads and one of the big leads that really just fell apart pretty quickly the more we looked into it was this whole notion that there was no motive for the murder, that Timothy Wright's um, relationship with Nicole Turpin, the 17-year-old girl um, who basically, I mean, basically this was a love triangle and Justin Bumgartner was her ex and uh, Timothy Wright was jealous and that's why he showed up at the park that day. But they were saying there was nothing between them. It was, it was, it was just basically a friendship. So I want to play a clip, Fatima. You went and spoke to a woman who identified herself as Sarah to us, and she was in a local college, and she befriended Timothy at that time. And she came on basically to be a character witness, to say um, that uh, Timothy wasn't the type of person who could do something like this. But then you showed her some text messages that Timothy had written Nicole Turpin, and this was her reaction. Sarah, did you ever notice him off in the corner when he's hanging out with you? Was he responding to text messages or answering phone calls? No, never. When he was with me, he was literally with me. So then I'm going to assume you don't know about this text message. It allegedly came from Tim's phone to Nicole saying, I love you so much. 
how does this make you feel now? It makes me uncomfortable because I'm here on his behalf. I did feel bad having to tell her a little more about Nicole's and Tim's relationship. But there were a lot of text messages, just um, certain uh, intimacies between them, things that were shared via text message. Um, Also provocative photos that she had sent to him. And the sheer volume. The sheer volume. I mean, the amount of calls, right? It's just insane that 15 to 30 calls every single day, meeting up before school, dropping her off at school, meeting up after school. She would take him lunch um, to his job. I mean, that's so nice. And yes, absolutely. Like his sister Fred said, can a friend not do those things? Absolutely. A friend can do those things, but let's look, you know, you got to look at the whole picture here. And, um, you know, he even had a provocative photo of her in the car, in his car. That's not just friends. And let's be honest, if it is just friends, he knew that Nicole wasn't in it just for the friendship making out, you know, and hanging out like that. That's not, if you, if you want to call it friendship, you could, you could call it whatever you want to call it. But what we see and what the truth is, is it was more now. I don't know where you guys stand on this, but I really don't personally feel like he was madly in love with Nicole. I mean, he probably was playing the field. We know he was married at the time. We know he had Sarah who, even though she said they were just friends, you know, he was probably extremely flirtatious with other women. I don't think this was like a, a, you know, undying loyal love to Nicole and she betrayed him. So he did this. I think it was more of a This young, it was control. He's older. Mm. She's young, um, you know, and so it's kind of a spit in the face, right? Like Justin Baumgartner's younger. Also, he was um, around the same age as Nicole. They had dated when they were younger. So there's this age difference, right? And Tim's the older kind of boyfriend kind of guy. And then there's this, you know, younger guy that she once hooked up that she had a relationship with in the past. And now they're kind of going behind Tim's back. And I think it was just more of a like disrespect, Um, and I, I, in this, I don't know how you feel, Chris, but I just feel like this was just a rage situation. Like, I don't, I don't know how much it was planned. I, I think Tim is a hothead that he can't control, you know, his temper in that moment. And he just pops off. Yeah, this definitely reeks of a, uh, control type relationship, control type situation that got way out of hand, you know, uh, the, We even saw text messages that were from uh, the victim, Justin Baumgartner, to to the female in this case, saying, you know, asking if Tim would mind if we met that night. And that Mm -hmm. was kind of strange to me. So that kind of, you know, lets you know that he had some sort of control over her. If he felt the need to ask for permission to see this young lady. Yeah. You know, that 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 suggests control. And then he he you know, when Nicole asks him and tells him about it, um, he expresses, you know, like, why, what's the, you know, why are you going to go meet up and all that? And so she tells him, you know what, I'm not, we're we're not going to meet up. And so now she's either, you know, lying to him or contemplating not doing it because of him. Come on, everyone. What does that tell you? And the nail in the coffin for me, um, which I, I, this, I don't think this was aired and this was big for me. Um, is at between those text messages between Nicole and Justin Baumgartner, the victim, um, you see messages before they meet up, you know, like will Tim mind. And then after Justin Baumgartner leaves the park that night and drives away, 
Nicole's trying to get a hold of him. She's trying to figure out what happened and she's calling him and she sends him text messages. And what does her text message say? It says, I'm sorry about Tim. Are you okay? She's checking on him like, hello. But that I'm no response. And there's never a response because poor Mm -hmm. Justin has been shot. Um, I'm sorry about Tim. That for me was huge. Um, You know, why is she saying I'm sorry about Tim? What did Tim do? And, you know, Tim's version is that the friend is fighting with Justin Baumgartner. Oh, my friend, you know, he was getting in Justin Baumgartner's face. She doesn't say, yeah, yeah, she doesn't say I'm sorry about Justin Davis. You know, uh, um, you know, that's not what she says. She's referring to Tim. Everything here points to Tim being the perpetrator. So, Chris, you had a chance to talk to Tim, and I want to play a couple of clips from the interview. The first one is when you were trying to get to the bottom of the nature of his relationship with Nicole Turpin. Tell me what the relationship with Nicole was all about. Well, um, I was not interested in her beyond a friendship, but she seemed to think that there was the potential for more. You and Nicole spent a lot of time together. Yes, we spent a fair good amount of time with each other, but it's more conversation, phone calls and texts than it was mass amounts of time. How many times a day? Uh, Phone calls, depending on my work schedule, five to 15 or 20 times, you know, on weekends it was obviously more. Text messages, I would say probably at least that many. 15 to 20 times a day? Very likely, yes. I spent a lot of time on my phone either calling or texting a number of women that were in my life at that time. He minimized everything. And then when I have a person that minimizes a lot, I have to figure out why. Why would they minimize? Well, he knew that we had all of his text messages and all of his phone calls. So the minute that he he said that, no, uh, we, we only text a few times and we only talked a few times, he knew that I'd be able to say that, okay, no, you didn't text a few times. You text 15 to 20 times a day. So to me, he minimized everything about the the, the the messaging and how often he talked to her. And also he minimized the, uh, his, his, his feelings towards her. You don't send, I love you so much to a person that you're only interested in having just a friendship with. It just reeks of, of, of him trying to separate himself or, or minimize something. And you know how I feel when, when a person that's been convicted of a crime, tried to minimize themselves or separate themselves from it as far as they can or as much as they can. And, you know, it, it gives me a lot of pause for concern. Okay. I got to be honest here, guys. I mean, looking back at this season and the amount of just like mental, you know, torment that Chris and I often go through on a lot of these cases, like, gosh, is it possible? Okay. But there's this other suspect and there's this, you know, and, and that happens in almost every episode. I have to say when it came down to the end of the week, I was just like, really? You brought me here for this? Like, no offense, but (laughs) are you kidding me right now? And just so the audience understands, because I think this is kind of an important point, we have a team of producers and researchers, and we get so many submissions from around the country. And so if someone comes in and they've been convicted because of DNA evidence, that's really not worthy of your time because you're basically down to a conspiracy of scientists and police, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so we're really looking for cases that we can help the families and that at least that the leads that they give us seem compelling. And a lot of times, the more you guys dig into it, then 
it's not so compelling by the end of the week. And this was one of those cases. Now, as an example, in this case, we've got uh, one of the leads that says that the cell phone technology, and they were very convinced, would prove that Tim could not have been anywhere near the scene of the crime. Now, you went to see a cell phone expert. That turned out not to be the case. And Chris, you then asked Tim about it. And uh, I don't think you were satisfied with his answer. The shots are fired at 9 p.m. that night. Where were you? Probably at my house. So, Tim, you know I've had independent experts look at all of the cell phone records, text message records, everything about this case, right? Absolutely. Okay. My independent expert says that you were nowhere near your home during the time that these shots were fired. Well, I, I mean, I know where I was at. I respectfully disagree with their opinion. You see, that's, that's a key thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't an no opinion. opinion. Yeah, yeah. We, we can scientifically prove that your phone was not uh, uh, at your home like you say that you were. But, you know, so, yeah, that was <laughs> that is, it gets so frustrating. And it, it 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 only goes to show you that how the type of power some of these guys have over their family member because members, because that was one of the leads that the family gave us. And they they knew that this evidence would completely blow the prosecution's case out of the water. That's what they told us during that time, you know, and then when we go and we look into it, turns comes to find out that it's not true. He's actually there. It actually puts him closer to where the murder happened during the time of the shot. So yeah, that, that kind of just bummed me out with the whole case. And I, that was, that was pretty much the nail in the coffin for me. Here's the other kicker is that Tim gave a complete timeline of his day. And so he gives, I mean, he says where he is all throughout the day and every, because he's going all over, he's picking up Nicole here. He picks up Justin here. You know, these are, I think it's a Saturday. They kind of had like nothing to do. So they're just, yeah, they went to some friend's house and they had drinks. Go to Walmart early in the morning. They go to a friend's house. And by the way, not to derail this, but I have to say in Chris's interview with Tim, the most feeble answer I thought um, and we're not playing the clip here right now, but Chris, it was when you were asking him, why did you go to the park twice? Why did you go back to the park? And he's like, well, I didn't really get to see all the stuff there. Oh, like, like so he was funny. Like he was sorry. Park I just night. thought it was so funny. <laughs> I'm going like, to ah. peruse through the park at eight o'clock at night. Um, my girlfriend and her, her, my friend and her friend are just so happy to be there. But I didn't Let get me... the chance to see the park. Guys, yeah, the defense, picnic tables. The, yeah, you know, 101 here, guys. planting. Defense 101. If, <laughs> if you're saying Justin Davis is the one who did it, what you say is, well, I didn't want to go to the park. I had mentioned to my boy, Justin, that, you know, Nicole was going to meet this guy. And so he was really adamant on going to this park. And I was just along for the ride. Hmm. I mean, that's what you say, right? I mean, but he just was trying to get so creative. I don't know if he thinks that he's, I don't know. I don't want to be disrespectful here, but you know, I mean, do you, do you really think we're going to buy that? Do you really think like this innocent, like, I just wanted to see the park. I mean, come up with something better for us for crying out loud, but just- just say your friend wanted to go. That's defense. You're saying your friend did it. I, I, and your not friend to, and, wanted to go. And not to sound flip, but sometimes I'm amazed. Like he's had 13 years to think about this and that's the best right. you can do. It's just, kind of, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've heard it all too. Right. Like, honestly, Tim, we've heard it all. But, um, but when he told Chris, uh, you know, that he just, he was probably at home. 
that hurts because he knew where he was all day long and his cell phone records reflected where he was. So when he says he's at Walmart, that's what it was. When he says he's at a friend's house, that's where his cell phone was. But suddenly at the main crucial time of your day that we need to know your whereabouts, you're probably at home. And that just so happens to be exactly where the cell phone, you know, records are showing you're not, or at least your phone isn't. So, you know, it's just, it just kept crumbling. I mean, for me personally, the the part that really was kind of a checkmate was those cell phone records, because when Tim's telling Chris that his alibi is that he was at home taking a nap. And then, um, I think his name was Cy Ray, the expert, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was saying that that is almost impossible. There were just so many cell towers between his home, which wasn't that close to the murder scene. I think it was a half hour drive away right. that it was, it was nearly impossible to me. That kind of blew the whole thing up because it always seems to me like, you know, things like motive and alibi, those are important, but they can be highly subjective. But this was just like, a, it, it, that felt to me like a checkmate. Mm-hmm. And he has a huge following of people that are advocating for him to be freed and that he was wrongfully convicted. And a, a lot of the information, you know, I've, I've read over just a few portions of it. But, you know, when I look at this case, when we look, when we take a look at it, we all I think this was probably one of those cases where we there wasn't much disagreement on how we should lean when we after looking at the facts of the case but every, but he has a very large following of people that are advocating for his release and his And family. I I don't know like what am I missing? I mean they think uh, you know and they say Justin Davis did it and it's like okay it's you know it's I guess it's possible that Justin was the mad, one who got mad on behalf of his friend. I mean I know that other people have described Justin Davis as a shady character more than Tim, but you know, really we're talking about, you know, one of two people here, one of two people. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So guys, um, at the end of the week, you met with the family again, and more than most cases, you guys were pretty much trying to open up their eyes. And I think that Tim Wright Sr. was open to it, was open to really hearing the truth because he was one of the few loved ones who was really honest enough to say, I don't know, I have doubts and I'm open to hearing what you guys find. His sister, Ashley, that was a different story. I'm still looking for the truth. I understand your position. You don't. You're not me. You don't have a sibling in prison. But you have to understand the evidence stacks up against your brother, too. Until I hear it from him. 
I knew from day one, no matter what we said, unless we were saying that Timothy Wright is absolutely innocent of this crime. and He's been wrongfully convicted that Ashley was not going to jump on board. I, I knew that from mm-hmm. from day one. She's she's been a star advocate for her brother. And, you know, I, I guess I understand that. But, you know, when you're faced with the facts that we presented back to them, facts that they've in my opinion, chosen to ignore because you have to just ignore some of the facts that we showed them during that, during this uh, investigation, you know, I, and you still say that I have to hear it from him. He has to be the one to tell me you're not going to change a person's mind like that. And so uh, that, I, that's part of the reason yeah. why I, I, we were so, we wanted to make sure that they understood that we think, Timothy Wright is guilty of this crime. The evidence shows, the evidence proves that he's definitely involved in the murder of Justin Baumgartner. But on those cases where we have so much evidence that points to a person's guilt, we have to be very, I won't say stern, but we have to be honest about what we saw, how we feel, and how that evidence proves their, their guilt in cases like this? I just felt like the evidence was there. And I felt like, God bless Ashley, she is a a loyal, loving sister. She just wants her brother home. And you know what? Hey, no no one's going to fault you for that. You want your brother home. You want your family complete. Fine. But I do have to say that sometimes I do feel a little bit like we are getting played. The the purpose of the show is to help families who are stuck. They tell us repeatedly. And we come, we constantly tell them, look, Chris and Fatima are going to look in this case, but we cannot guarantee which way they're going to go. Oh, no, no, no. We're open. We don't know if we want to keep this fight. And then a lot of times they say that, they say that, they say that. And then when uh, the moment comes, we're the bad guys because we gave them news they didn't want. And that, right. uh, you know, so, well, I so in a way. I feel that way with the father in this case. No, not at um, all. Not he at was all. open and this man, you know, that father wanted answers and you could see that he was very open to hearing them and he felt peace in getting them. It was just like, okay, I can, I can let that rest now and move on to whatever other issues he may have with the case. Um, but with Ashley, I felt like we, we could have sat there and it was one of those, we could have played her a video of it happening and she would have said that that's not my brother. Um, well, we kind of did play our video of our brother's truck. So. Well, yeah, but I, hey, that yeah, was that point. was that, that was a possibility. <laughs> that truck was a possibility. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is, I just knew no matter what we were going to say, and that's a lot why I just sat there and you know just was like, God bless you, good luck with this, because no matter what we were going to say, it, it didn't matter to her. She wants her brother home. She will fight for him until he's home, and that's that. So you know, um, I did feel a sense of uh, I don't know, maybe a little disrespect because this was our time and we went through all this during the week. And, you know, there are so many other people that are trying to get their case on this show. There's so many other people that just, I mean, the show may not even matter to them. They just want to sit down with two independent experts who can tell them their thoughts on this case and give them that piece. And so for me, it felt like, you know, we chose this case because, you know, there are some things you needed answered and we're here and we're telling you, but no matter what we say, you know, you're, you're just simply going to say, you know, it doesn't matter. You don't understand. Right. But if, but for them to have you guys come in it, it, they need to be open to the truth. 
And if it's simply looking for, uh, for, you know, gullible media mouthpieces to just sort of, uh, echo their claims that the system did them wrong without really taking a look at the evidence, then they've come to the wrong place. They need to go someplace else. Now I do want to tell you, but I I don't regret it because of the father. Yeah. And I wanted to tell you, I spoke to, I spoke to him about a week ago. He doesn't want to start any family trouble. He didn't really want to come on. He's moving forward. He's really busy with construction now that we're in a sort of post-COVID world. Um, he's been focused on that, on his family. And he said, look, I'm not 100% convinced that uh, Tim did it, but he told me something telling. He said, you know, over the years, I've asked him questions and I've looked him straight in the eye and he's a really accomplished liar. He's told me things that I know aren't true. And so he's like, I don't know. And uh, I think he's moving on. Now, he didn't want to talk to us. Obviously, I didn't want to poke the bear and call Ashley about this. But Sarah, uh, who was his friend uh, from back in college, when she was in college and he would hang out and party with her, uh, she has agreed to join us. Hi, Sarah. Good. How are you doing? Hey, Hey, Sarah. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? We didn't get a chance, an opportunity to meet during our case investigation, but how are you? I'm good. How are you? It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Since the interview um, that you did with Fatima, uh, you know, it felt like maybe things were shifting a little bit uh, during that interview for you. And we just kind of wanted to follow up and see, you know, it's been about six months. Has anything changed for you as far as uh, your relationship to Tim and to the case? Yeah, it actually has. Um, It's actually kind of funny. Um, I went down with the intention of like, this is a Tim that I knew and being able to tell my story of who Tim was and the Tim that I saw. And I felt like after I didn't really know Tim, there's a lot of stuff that I found out that I didn't know, you know, years and years later that really started to make me question like, okay, this must've been the good side of Tim that I saw. Um, and I don't know it, I, I left and I felt like I did my part. Of course, I was expecting like, oh, this is going to be the time where he'll actually get exonerated and all of that. And that wasn't really the case. And I distinctly remember getting home that night um, and it was almost like I did a 180. And I realized that and, the, and my decision to kind of close the door on my relationship with Tim had nothing to do with the outcome because at the time I didn't know the outcome of the investigation and um, Kristen Fatima's decision. But I wrote a letter to him just saying, I don't know the outcome, but I just feel like it's time for me to close the door um, on our relationship, our friendship, and just kind of move on with my life. And then later finding out that he was, um, or the decision that Fatima and Chris came to, it was just kind of confirmation that I made the right decision just to close the door and move on. Mm-hmm. Well, how, uh, so you, you, you don't have any contact with Tim or, uh, 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 in this case anymore? No, I haven't spoken with him or, or I emailed with his wife, um, you know, once or twice after he received that letter, but, um, and once again, just explaining like my decision was made, you know, separate from the outcome of of your and Fatima's um, 
decision. And then that was kind of the extent of it. I haven't heard um, from Tim or his wife since then and just moved so, on with my life. So what was it that uh, made you uh, do this 180 you talked about? I think there was just information that I didn't know, like about this girlfriend of his. I had no idea um, that there was anyone in his life. As far as I knew at the time, he was married um, and that wasn't going well. And he just wanted to hang out with someone, have a good time, um, you know, do fun things, um, non-relationship things. And I felt like I was that person for him that we could just hang out together and um, just be friends. And, but I think that was the Tim that I knew and not the real Tim. And the real Tim was this relationship that I had no idea was going on. Um, I mean, I'm not, I don't really care, I guess, in hindsight, because I never knew about it, but, um, learning about that after the fact years later, um, I almost felt like the Tim that I knew was a bit of a facade. And that's something that you and I talked about that day, because I know after I had shown you just a little more information that we came across, you started to feel like you had been manipulated or that you were, you know, um, how did, how did you not see it that you, you know, and then, you know, we talked a little more about this, you know, the Tim that you knew was very different. And this is a lot of family and loved ones. Um, the situation when we do these cases is it's not the behavior that they ever witnessed, so why would they know? You know, the person they knew wasn't capable of that. And so, of course, you stand behind that person, right? Any of any one of us would. But it was telling that you were, it was sinking in when you started to read a little more about the communication between him and Nicole and found out a little more about their relationship. You did start to say, well, I just didn't know any of this. So now I wonder, you know, what I knew about him. And once again, in your defense, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, he was somebody who didn't really talk about his private life too much. Right. Um, yeah. Like I said, the extent of his private life that I knew was that he was married and that that wasn't going too well. Um, he really didn't talk about his private life that much. And, you know, I didn't ask, um, I guess maybe call me a naive because being what, like 1920. Um, and he was, I think like 21 or 22 at the time that I guess I didn't really think that these kind of heavy life things that more happened to people who are in their thirties and forties was really happening to me, someone in college. Sarah, are you at, at peace with everything now? Or is there any like bitterness when you look back on, uh, on the whole situation with Tim? Um, there's definitely no bitterness. Um, I think I just kind of hold it against myself that why didn't I see this? Why didn't I know that? But I mean, I don't, I don't think about that situation. Um, I don't really think about Tim. I've just picked up and moved on with my life kind of like I had before, um, before I received a phone call from you all to, you know, investigate the case. Um, Sarah, I have to ask, you know, we now know that Tim is married. Um, he remarried, uh, a woman married him while he was, um, already in prison. What do you think about, you know, why she fights for him? You know, when I first found out from Tim that he, he did marry, um, this woman and she was, of course, the one that I communicated with during this process. 
Um, I never met or knew, I don't even know his previous wife's name when I was in college, you know, that situation. But uh, my initial like gut reaction when I found out that he was married was, oh, that's kind of strange. Like he's in prison and convicted for murder. Um, why would anyone want to get involved with this? Um, it initially was just always polite to me, but I felt like it was always in hindsight, just trying to get more information and using me to support Tim, which I had no problem supporting Tim because I always planned to support him, um, based on what I knew. Um, but in hindsight, I just, I think it's really strange that a woman, especially much older than him in another country, um, would get married to a man convicted of murder in prison. Mm-hmm. We see it that just, a lot. Yeah, yeah we do yeah. see it a lot. It makes no logical sense. Like why, you know, I, I guess for me, I'd rather be single like I am than, you know, get involved with someone in prison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, hey, everyone, now everybody knows the, the pretty girl on this episode that I interviewed is single. <laughs> Sarah, there is a there is a website, a dating website for prisoners. And it's literally I'm not joking. It's like a I forgot the name of it, but it's like a it's like a match dot com. But it's all inmates mm-hmm. and women can go on from the outside and like write them and swipe. And it's it's bizarre. There's there we should seems do a be... whole episode on like mentally what is going on with women okay. who marry men in prison like, get what are they show. compensating for <laughs> what have they been through i want to get into their <laughs> so much trouble we are i have i have so. theories i have theories <laughs> um sarah thank you so much we're glad you're doing well and it sounds like you're at peace and uh hopefully uh your conversation with fatima while painful maybe helped you uh move forward and and sort of uh put this in your past Yeah, definitely. And thank you all for your time. And I do just want to say, um, you know, I do not hold like any ill will or malice and I don't wish anything against Tim or his wife or, or anyone. I I've tried to live my life like at peace with everyone. Um, and I'm also thinking of his father and, um, you know, Tim Wright senior and Ashley, who I got to know. So I just want to say like, I wish them all the best and I wish them well. And, um, I just hope that they have peace as well. Thanks, Sarah. Sir, thank You're you. awesome. Thank you for coming on and talking with us. We appreciate your contribution to this case. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, I'm glad to see that Sarah is moving on, uh, that uh, she is leaving that in the past. And uh, she sounded good. She sounds like she's uh, ready for a fresh start. Yeah, 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 it does. You know, it's good. It's refreshing to hear from, from Sarah. Uh, you know, I hate that... I understand her position. I understand her uh, pulling away from from the case. I, you know, I can't say that I blame her much. It's also good to hear from Tim Wright Senior uh, that you know he is uh, still pushing and advocating for his son, but not as much as he was in the past. So uh, you know, it, it kind of just relates to us why we do reasonable doubt. You know, we give people the option of moving on. You know, and 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 it's okay but still loving your child where they are or your loved one where they are. Next week, 
We have got a case that this case to me was just mind blowing, and that's the David Thorne case. We're going to be discussing oh that next gosh, week. Yeah. Please watch it Monday night, 10 p.m., investigation discovery. And then the following day, uh, you can hear Chris and Fatima analyze what went into the case. And that one is fascinating. It is, it is a really dark and uh, very complex case. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the executive producer and creator of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I am Detective Chris Anderson, retired homicide investigator and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. (laughs) Can we please put that in? (laughs) Oh, my God.